Chapter Five, Part One of From Sail to Steam by Alfred Thayer Mahan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: My First Cruise After Graduation. Nautical Characters, eighteen fifty nine to eighteen sixty one. Part One. At the moment of graduation in the summer of eighteen fifty nine, I had a narrow escape from the cutting short of my career resembling that which a man has from a railway accident by missing the train to a certain extent the members of classes were favored in forming groups of friends and choosing the ship to which they would be sent myself and two intimates applied for the sloop of war levant destined for the pacific by way of cape horn our motive being partly the kind of vessel supposed by us to favor professional opportunity and partly the friendship existing between one of us and the master of the levant a graduate of two or three years before who had just completed his examinations for promotion luckily for us and particularly for me as the only one of the three who in after life survived middle age the frigate congress was fitting out and her requirements for officers could not be disregarded the levant sailed reached the pacific and disappeared one of the mysteries of the deep we very young men had the impression that small vessels were better calculated to advance us professionally because having fewer officers deck duty might be devolved on us either to ease the regular watch officers or in case of a disability this prepossession extended particularly to brigs of which the navy then had several this was a pretty wild imagining for i can hardly conceive any one entrusting such a vessel to a raw midshipman it is scarcely an exaggeration to say they were all canvas and no hull beautiful as a dream but dangerous to a degree except to the skilful as it was an unusual proportion of them came to grief our views were doubtless largely if unconsciously affected by the pleasing idea of prospective early importance as deck officers the more solid opinion of our seniors was that we would uh, do better to pause a while on the bottom step under closer supervision while as for vessel the order dignity and scale of performance on big ships were more educative more formative of military character which and not seamanship is the leading element of professional value keep them at sea said lord st vincent and they can't help becoming seamen but attention is needed to make them learn their business with the guns i have already mentioned that at the outbreak of the war of secession it was this factor which decided the authorities to give seniority to the very young lieutenants over the volunteers from the merchant service most of whom had longer experience and though by no means all of them consequent ability as seamen after graduating my first cruise was upon what was then known as the brazil station by the british called more comprehensively the southeast coast of america after the war the name and limits were judiciously changed it became the south atlantic station to embrace the cape of good hope and generally the coasts of south america and africa with the islands lying between such as st helena and the falklands from the point of view of healthy activity for the ships and their companies and specifically for the education of younger officers this extension was most desirable 
in the earlier time long periods were spent in port because there was really not enough that required doing our captain once kept the ship at sea for a fortnight or more cruising that is moving about within certain limits back and forth in war time this is frequent if not general but then it is for a specific purpose conducive to the ends of war in peace the cruising ends in itself it is like a constitutional beneficial no doubt but not to most men as healthily beneficial as the walk to the office with its definite object and the incidental amusement of the streets a terminus ad quem is essential to the perfection of exercise bodily or mental as it was montevideo in the river la plata and rio de janeiro were the two chief ports between which we oscillated with rare and brief stays elsewhere or at sea the congress was a magnificent ship of her period the adjective is not too strong having been built about eighteen forty she represented the culmination of the sail era which judged by her reached then the splendid maturity that in itself to the prophetic eye presages decay and vanishment in her just but strong proportions in her lines fine yet not delicate she seemed to dare and did dare the elements to strife while for her people deck when her five hundred and odd men swarmed up for an evolution or to get their hammocks for the night it was peopled to the square foot despite her size on her forecastle and the four and main masts each were stationed sixty men full half of them prime seamen not only in skill but in age and physique ninety for the starboard watch and ninety for the port not to count the mizzen topmen after guard and marines more than as many more i have always remembered the effect produced upon me by this huge mass when all hands gathered once to wear ship in a heavy gale the height of one of those furious pomperos which issue from the prairies or pampas of buenos aires the ship having only foreign main topsails close reefed the officers beyond those of the watch were not summoned the handling of the yards required only the brute force of muscle under which even in such conditions they were as toys in the hand of that superb ship's company i had thus the chance to see things from the poop a kind of bird's-eye view as the ship fell off before the wind and while the captain was waiting that smoother chance which from time to time offers to bring her up to it again on the other side with the least shock she of course gathered accelerated way with the gale right aft scudding in fact unsteadied by wind on either side she rolled deeply and the sight of those four hundred or more faces all turned up and aft watching intently the officer of the deck for the next order the braces stretched taut along in their hands for instant obedience was singularly striking usually a midshipman had to be in the midst of such matters with no leisure for impressions at least of an impressionist character those were the prerogatives of the idlers the surgeon chaplain and marine officers who obtained thereby not only the benefit of the show but material for discussion as to how well the thing had been done or whether it ought to have been done at all the midshipman's part at all hands 
was to be as much in the way as was necessary to see all needed gear manned no skulkers and as much out of the way as his personal stability required from the rush of the huge gangs of seamen running away with a rope i never had the opportunity of viewing the ship from outside under way at sea but she was delightful to look at in port her spars both masts and yards lofty and yet square were as true to proportion for perfection of appearance as was her hull and the twenty-five guns she showed on each broadside in two tiers though they had abundance of working-room were close enough together to suggest two strong rows of solid teeth ready for instant use nothing could be more splendidly martial but what old-timers they were with the swell of their black muzzles like the lips of a full-blooded negro thirty-two pounders all of them except on either side five eight-inch shell guns a small tribute to progress the rest threw solid shot for the most part imposing as they certainly looked and heavier though they were than most of those with which the world's famous sea fights had been fought they were already antediluvian a few years later i saw a long range of them enjoying their last repose on the skids in a navy yard and a bystander with equal truth and irreverence called them pop-guns one almost felt that the word should be uttered in a whisper out of respect for their feelings but the whole equipment of the ship though up to date in itself was so far of the past that i recall it with mingled pathos and interest what naval officer who may read these words was ever shipmate with rope trusses for the lower yards or with a hemp messenger a messenger was a huge rope of i suppose eighteen to twenty-four inches circumference used for lifting the anchor at the after end of the ship it was passed three times round the capstan where the men walking round merrily to the sound of the fife under the eyes of the officer of the deck were doing the work of weighing at the forward end it moved round rollers to save friction thus one part was taut under the strain of the capstan and to this the cable of the anchor as it was hove in was made fast by a succession of selvages for which i will borrow the elaborate description of white jacket who tells us the name was applied by the seamen of his ship to one of the lieutenants it was a slender tapering unstranded piece of rope prepared with much solicitude peculiarly flexible which wreathes and serpentines around the cable and messenger like an elegantly modelled garter snake around the stalks of a vine the messenger was thus appropriately named it went back and forth on its errand of anchor raising the slack side being helped on its way by a row of twelve or fifteen men seated pulling it along forward this gang by immemorial usage was composed of the coloured servants and i can see now that row of black faces with grinning ivories as they yo-hoed in undertones together lighting forward the messenger like the ship and her equipment the officers and crew by training and methods were still of the olden time in tone and ideals a condition of course fostered at the moment by the style of vessel yet they had that curious adaptability characteristic of the profession which afterwards enabled them to fall readily into the use of the new constructions of every kind evolved by the war of secession concerning some of these 
a naval professional humorist observed that they could be worshipped without idolatry for they were like nothing in heaven or on earth or in the waters under the earth adored or not they were handled to purpose by a paradoxical combination the seaman of those days was at once most conservative in temperament and versatile in capacity among the officers however there was an open vision toward the future i well remember joe smith enlarging to me on the merits of cowper cole's projected turret ship much talked about in the british press in eighteen sixty a full year or more before ericsson under the exigency of existing war obtained from us a hearing for the monitor cole's turrets being then a novel project were likened explanatorily to a railway turntable a very illustrative definition and smith was already convinced of the value of the design which was proved in hampton roads the day after he himself fell gloriously on the deck of the congress there is a double tragedy in his missing by this brief space the clear demonstration of a system to which he so early gave his adherence and it is another tragedy which most americans except naval officers will have forgotten that coles himself found his grave in the ship the captain ultimately built through his urgency upon this turret principle this happened in eighteen seventy the tradition of masts and sails as economical still surviving she was equipped with them which we from the beginning had discarded in monitors the captain was a large vessel with low freeboard her deck only six feet above water lying too under sail in a moderate gale in the bay of biscay she heeled over in a squall bringing the lee side of the deck under water and the force of the wind increasing without meeting the resistance offered ordinarily by the pressure of the water against the lee side of a ship she went clean over and sank the incident made the deeper impression upon me because two months before i had visited her when she was lying at spithead in company with another ironclad the monarch which soon after was assigned by the british government to bring george peabody's remains to their final resting place in america i then met and was courteously received by the captain of the captain burgoyne of the same family as the general known to our war of independence coles had gone merely as a passenger to observe the practical working of his designs i do not know how far the masting was consonant to his wishes it may have been forced upon him as a concession necessary to obtaining his main end but nothing could be more incongruous than to embarrass the all-round fire of turrets by masts and rigging in eighteen fifty nine the united states government was coquetting with the title admiral which was supposed to have some insidious connection with monarchical institutions even so sensible and thoughtful a man as our sailmaker who was a devout disciple and constant reader of horace greeley with the advanced political tendencies of the tribune said to me call them admirals never they will be wanting to be dukes next we had hit therefore on a compromise quite accordant with the transition decade eighteen fifty to eighteen sixty and styled them flag officers concerning which it might be said that all admirals are flag officers but all flag officers are not admirals not american flag officers at all events 
as a further element in the compromise instead of the broad swallow-tailed pendant of a commodore our previous flag rank we carried the square flag at the mizzen indicated in all navies of a rear admiral to which we gave a rear admiral's salute of thirteen guns and expected the same from foreigners while all the time the recipient stood on our navy register as a captain only temporarily breveted flag officer well do i remember the dismay of our flag officer when quitting a british ship of war she fired the customary salute and stopped at eleven a commodore's perquisite the hit was harder because the old gentleman was particularly fond of the english having received from them great hospitality incidental to his commanding the ship of war which carried part of the american exhibition to the world's fair of eighteen fifty one an et tu brute expression came over his face as he sank back with a sorrowful exclamation in the stern sheets of the barge which as nautical convention requires was lying motionless oars horizontal a ship's length away when lo and behold as a kind of appendix to the previous proceedings bang bang went two more guns filling the baker's dozen it was of course uh, somewhat limping but the apology was sufficient salutes are as liable to accidents as are other affairs of well-regulated households and a little more so a gun misses fire or somebody counts wrong or what not on the congress we rarely had trouble for the greatest number of guns is twenty-one a national salute and on our main deck we had thirty any part of which could be ready if one missed fire the gun next abaft stepped in if near enough you might hear the primer snap but the error of interval was barely appreciable the effect stood laymen may not know that the manner of the salute was and is for the officer conducting it to give the orders starboard fire port fire the discharges thus ranging from forward aft alternately on each side a man who cannot trust his ear times the interval by watch most i presume trust their counting i once underwent an amusing faux pas in this matter of counting of course the count is a serious matter gun for gun is diplomatically as important as an eye for an eye my captain had heard that an excellent precaution was to provide oneself with a number of dried beans with which needless to say a ship abounds corresponding to the number of guns the receipt ran put them all in one pocket and with each gun shift a bean to the other pocket he proposed this to me but i demurred i feared i might get mixed on the beans and omit to shift one he did not press me but when i began to perform on the main deck he stood near the hatch on the deck above duly or unduly provided with beans it was a national salute to the port when i finished he called to me you have only fired twenty guns no sir i replied twenty-one no he repeated twenty for i have a bean left all right i returned and i banged an appendix after which upon counting it was found the captain had twenty-two beans and the french twenty-two guns a tiger which i hope they appreciated but i'm sure they did not return our flag officer was a veteran of eighteen twelve he had evidently been very handsome 
to which possibly he owed three successive wives, the last one much younger than himself. Now in his sixties he was still light in his movements. He had a queer way of tripping along on the balls of his feet, with a half-shuffling movement, his hands buried in his pockets with the thumbs out. He was, I fear, the sort of man capable of wearing a frock-coat unbuttoned. It was amusing to see him walk the poop with the captain of the ship, who outtopped him by a head, was ponderous in dimensions, with wide tread and feet like an elephant's. Yet it was said by those who had seen a beautiful waltzer. His son, who was his clerk, used to say, the old man's feet really aren't so big if he would not wear such shoes. When his shoes were sent up to dry in the sun, as all sea-shoes must be at times, the midshipmen knew the occasion as a gunboat parade. The flag-officer was styled familiarly in the Navy by the epithet Bucky. I never saw it spelled, but the pronunciation was as given. Report ran that he thus called everyone promiscuously. But, although I was his aide for nearly six months, I only heard him use it once or twice. Possibly he was breaking a bad habit. End of chapter 5, part 1